Good morning, lovely people. Welcome to this episode of The Trillist. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing females in STEM, hair at Penn, and it could relate to like the general university culture and um, higher education. So on today's episode, we have Patti. Hi, everyone. My name is Patty. Um, I'm studying bioengineering here at Penn. Angela. Hi, guys. My name is Angela. I'm studying cis and political science here at Penn. Mashaya. Hi, everyone. Um, it's Mashaya. I'm studying biology and Africana studies at Penn. And Clea. Hi, everyone. It's Clea. I'm studying health and societies and also pre-med at Penn. Perfect. So what do you plan to do with your major after university? I plan to go to medical school so I can become a pediatrician. Yes. That is my goal, and I will try to reach that. Mashai is going to be like my kid's pediatrician. <laughs> if we're in the same like city, we will be. We're older, yes. I'm also um, hoping to get into medical school, um, but I would like to do an MD PhD. And Health and Societies offers that. And if I do not get into medical school, then I will always have the PhD as an option. Awesome. So. I kind of had an existential crisis a few weeks ago in terms of what I wanted to do. Up until, I think, even before I got into Penn, I thought I wanted to go into tech. And I became really involved in Dems this past midterm election cycle. And I considered going pre-law, so that's why I added the second major about a week ago. Officially got approved. Amazing. Um, But right out of school, I want to work at a big four, so like Google, Microsoft, Facebook. Um, But long term... I want to do more in tech I think there's a lot of problems that exist. So, like, Chan Zuckerberg Initiative is definitely something I'm really, really interested in. Or even just leading. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so it's the initiative by uh, Priscilla Chan and her, her husband, Mark Zuckerberg. And they created it to promote change in various fields using technology and using their assets. And it's actually grown a lot. They have a really big tech division, but the whole point is social impact and making greater good. They're the initiative that basically created his hospital in San Francisco. So they're doing a lot of amazing things. And I think they're, it's just the next level in tech that's coming up as well. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about getting a PhD, especially after working in a lab. I realize I really like research. So definitely a PhD and maybe eventually become CTO of a company. Nice. Ah. All right. Um, since I know pretty much all of you, well, I know all of you pretty well. Um, we're all friends. I know that many of you have participated in specific case competitions and clubs that are in your field. Can you guys elaborate on that for those of you who have done that? And how has it shaped you as someone who's in the STEM field? Um, so this past year, I've participated in, I think, five hackathons. Um, kind of across the East Coast. And Can you describe what a hackathon is? Yeah, so the largest one in the country is actually held here at Penn Apps, which is really amazing. But a hackathon is essentially just kind of an event where coders and people in tech, even if you don't code, come together and create something within 24, 72, 48 hours. And it's really, really awesome. You're funded. You basically have no restrictions on what you can make, so people make really, really cool things. Um, this past... I think I was at uh, Hack Princeton. This one team really wanted to improve voting in central New Jersey. So they created like a millennial voting app to help them um, find their polling location, help them 
figure out what they need to bring and what to even do to check that they're registered and it was really really cool because they did that within 24 hours and it worked um so just stuff like that at hackathon you get a lot of free food a lot of companies are there um i actually got a few interviews at a few of them but it's just a good time and usually the school pays for you if you get in so yeah awesome um, so I currently work at the Spine Pain Research Lab, and I actually started working there the summer after my freshman year, and very early on, I realized I loved working in the lab. They gave me a lot of responsibilities early on, which was very reassuring because they trusted me in a time where I didn't really trust myself as an engineer, and I really loved working there, um, still working there now, even after the summer, and I just came back from the Biomedical Engineering Society Conference in Atlanta where I presented a poster. It was pretty intimidating, but it was such a great experience. So. What was your poster on? Uh, do you want me to give you the hard name? Yeah. Okay. And then make it into layman's terms. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'll tell you about the one that I did in the summer. Okay. It was about how spinal cord stimulation um, differs, changes brain activity in different parts of the brain. Nice. Do you want me to give the uh, And what did you, um, what were the results? Um, the results were that burst spinal cord stimulation works best in the ACC region of the brain. And what does that do to us in layman's terms? <laughs> um, it diminishes your perception of pain. So, for uh. example, if you have a painful, like, spine, uh, spinal cord injury, um, you will feel pain, but spinal cord stimulation kind of changes the way your spinal cord communicates with your brain. It doesn't mean the pain's not there. It's just you're not perceiving it anymore. So. Awesome. Thank you for that. Can you tell us about what you guys do in your um, labs? So I've actually had two um, really good experiences in this field. Um, one, I'm not a coder, but I have um, participated in a summer program. It was in astrophysics, and it was coding. And basically, we're programming um, LED lights to match a model that um, two professors have planted in South Pole to like study like space particles, basically, which is completely out of my field, but I thought was very interesting. And um, both of uh, professors are actually female in a male-dominated, like, profession, basically, because astrophysics and then you have coding, and you don't really see females in this. So it's also really nice to participate in that as a female. Um, I'm also in a lab, and um, it's a basically a photo imaging lab, and it works basically trying to research more and, like, figure out um, how to combat liver cancer. Um, so... Like, we just use different, like, antibodies, tests, um, and we've published papers frequently. Um, and, yeah, we're just trying to figure out how to help people who have liver cancer and how to prevent it. Nice. And over the summer, I was working at CHOP with Dr. Vetter. So, basically, we were doing research. Can you on, explain what CHOP is? Uh, it's the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Um, so we were just doing research about like health and education in the community. So we were looking at cardiac arrest um, 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 at school in school systems and just seeing if how many schools were heart safe, meaning like do they have um, automated external defibrillator? Do they have staff members trained in CPR, like different staff members, like not just a, like a nurse, because sometimes nurses aren't always there at the schools. Um, and then we were also just seeing if they had communication with their local EMS because, of course, all these schools have different layouts. What's EMS? Um, like the like emergency. Um, to, um, I'm in, no. Emergency medical yeah, service. Yeah, so basically, like, you know, they have to have contact with, um, with them because all these schools have different layouts. Like, some of them have doors locked. So if EMS comes there and they don't know this, like, they're just at the door, like, stuck, like, how do we get into this child to help them or a teacher? And so we were just doing research on that. Um, and I think through that experience, it really made me realize that 
I love like going into the community and helping people and like actually interacting like with people. Um, like that's just my favorite part. And I do love lab research as well, but I don't know. I think I like the more like people aspect and like really getting to see them and work with them. Awesome. Can you like elaborate on what you do? Cause you do work at a lab. Yeah. So. Yeah. So right now I'm studying about the signaling process in um, H. Volcani. Um, so they're basically just like an extremophile. So that means like they can, for this particular one, they can survive in like very high uh, salt content, like in the Dead Sea. Are they bacteria? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're type of bacteria. Um, but like they're like, yeah. RK bacteria, right? Yeah, they're RK bacteria. Um, and so basically I'm just like looking at their signaling process because it's like important when it comes to antibiotics because like, like all this other stuff, like they can like form a, sh uh, like basically like a shell that can protect them like from an antibiotic. So we're trying to understand this process so that way we can like catch them before they make it or prevent them from making it. So when you um, are given an antibiotic, like it can help, like stuff like that. And like, I like that because it's cool and everything, but I need a mixture of lab and people, but yes. Awesome, thank you. So during the last decade, there has been a big push for women in STEM. Um, STEM is now changed to STEAM, by the way, but a lot of people don't actually know that. Art is also incorporated in that now. Um, so through the establishment of middle school and high school programs such as Girls Who Code. So how do you believe our society can continue to improve the female representation in STEAM fields? Um, I'll go first, because in high school, when you reference Girls Who Code, I actually led the first Indiana local chapter of Girls Who Code and dealing with so much backlash that I couldn't have even imagined um, really opened my eyes to how much the diversity gap exists across the globe. That Can you tell us what kind of backlash <coughs> you were? Yeah, um, so I went to the most well-funded public school. There was a sponsor for everything, even for a club called Coffee Connoisseurs Club. I couldn't get a single teacher to sponsor my club. People didn't believe in what we did. They just thought what I was doing was a joke or a resume filler. And it was really disheartening, but it just made me even more passionate about it because I was so frustrated with the current situation. The current way that we actually got so many sponsors and so much funding is that we won a Google grant um, because they are a huge sponsor of the national organization of Girls Who Code. And then finally, we had teachers lining up willing to sponsor us. So that was a really interesting flip on that situation. And then coming even just from that general area, um, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from an area where basically everyone stays in Indiana for the rest of their lives. Tech doesn't exist there at all. If you're a girl and you're somewhat good at STEAM anything, you the only option that you have is to go pre-med. And even then, everyone like girls go nursing, guys go pre-med. And I really, really noticed that at my school. And the girls were significantly more intelligent and more capable than the men. They just never were told that they could do it. So I think that it starts from the bottom up, especially going to elementary schools. And I met so many young girls who loved video games, but they were taunted by their older brothers or even male peers that they shouldn't like things like this because they're made for guys, which is totally false. They're completely androgynous. It has nothing to do with your gender or even socioeconomic background or racial background. It just matters whether or not you're into it. And I think that's something that people need to realize. And it's still prevalent in huge companies across the tech industry. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys heard this past year, but Uber got a huge backlash because they're essentially a bros club. 
All the founders are men. All the executive people are men. Um, I do personally have a few friends who interned and work there, and they said that the culture there is very, very misogynistic. And if you're a woman, when you go into a room, they see you as an object and not really as an employee or as an equal. And in tech, like yes, things are changing. Lyft is doing great things. Google's The Walkout improved a lot. They have a lot of female executives. Facebook has Cheryl, Cheryl Sandberg. And that's amazing. We love that. But that ne- that's probably less than 2% of the entire um, C-suite in Silicon Valley <clears throat> and across the globe tech-wise. Um, and I really see that here as well. I used to be really involved in Wix, Women Computer Science at Penn. And um, this past week, we saw an article from the Statesman saying that uh, men- the National Men's Coalition group had sued yes i i'm sure you were willing to bring this up and one of the main organizations they wanted to sue was women in computer science um the gender women studies department department yes which i don't fully understand how they discriminate against men but that's a different topic exactly as well as war in women yes like women in stem yeah stuff like that. it's awful and they're using this for like title nine this is why they're suing because of title nine purposes but as if the rest of the world is not made for men and, like, women can't have this one thing. Like, women and gender, sexuality, it's like the department. Are you serious? Just It's, like, gross. Also, it's noted on every single Wix event that allies are welcome. Yeah. So their argument is just completely invalid. Mm-hmm. And another thing, they're trying to sue a Philadelphia um, Women Against Abuse organization that has nothing to do with Penn. So, I yeah. Things like this need to change because as much as we want, as much as change is being made and professions are being made, and I think it's great that so many women in blank organizations exist, there are still people like this who think like this. And changing people's minds is definitely the hardest part. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of this stems from like before we're even born our parents like when they find out like oh i'm having a girl or boy they already buy things that are guided towards that gender so um it starts before even elementary school i think with um our parents because they already like buy females like kids like dolls like you know oh here you go now you're nurturing so now you're already already put on the path to like want to be nursing or something like that whereas a guy child wouldn't be given the same type of uh toy so um i think it starts way before the elementary school um phase but when they do get into um the educational field um i think that it's important to start implementing these projects but then you have all this like backlash because people aren't understanding why these projects exist in the first place and that's part of the problem and we have to also combat that issue going on Just touching on something that Angela said, I think visibility is a big issue, especially in younger kids. Why is it that when younger kids think of, like, a doctor, they think of a white male? Yeah. They think of a scientist, a white male. So I think also, like, something we could do is, like, go back to our communities at home, speak at, like, elementary schools, and show the kids, like, I am an engineer, I am a scientist, I am a doctor, just so they can start putting themselves and their face in that role. I think that's very important as well. Very true. Like, this summer I interned at a nonprofit. I know the audience has heard this a lot. (laughs) But um, (laughs) but it's... Provides free after school and summer programming to low income and first generation students. And all those programmings are like predominantly STEM based. So, one of um, the programs is Zero Robotics, and it's a NASA program. And there's different chapters all over like the East Coast. And um, 
it's a competition. So one of the field trips is like bringing in like engineers. My aunt's an engineer. She worked at Coca-Cola for a really long time. Like she has a Coca-Cola laptop, Coca-Cola <laughs> everything. Like at family events, you can only drink Coca-Cola products. <laughs> but I love I love Sprite and Fanta and all that. So it's it's great. But just she has this love, and now she works for like Corning, and they make like in Verizon FiOS, they make the FiOS. So like that's what she does now. But anyways, she's a black woman, Sierra Leonean immigrant, um, has her master's in engineering and she's just like dope. So people need to realize like I can be what I want to be, you know? And it's also important to realize that, yes, we have we do have some people like you're saying who do have master's in engineering, but that's not a lot. It's not a it's not representative of the entire woman population. Just like we, like in my um, internship experience, the two professors who were in astrophysics were both female, but that doesn't say that er like the majority of them are female or enough, like half and half. There isn't that balance, you know? So that's, it's great that we're pointing out all these people, but we also have to point out that there are so many people who are not in these fields. I also want to point out something. These people aren't successful because they're women. And I think some people try to justify that or because they're of this race who's not white. And um, with the Asian American against Harvard affirmative action lawsuit, I personally am very against it because I don't think they see the full view of what people are capable of because it doesn't define you by skin color. It doesn't define you by socioeconomic background. It doesn't define you from where you're from. It just defines who you are and what you can't, what you individually can do. And that being said, for women as well, um, I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in office hours where I got mansplained by a male TA, and they told me, they're like, oh, the only reason this girl got Google is because she's a girl. The only reason this guy got this is because he's black or Indian or Native American. And I just looked at him, and I'm like, you're completely wrong. And that's also something I think people need to talk about, because that topic makes everyone very uncomfortable but it's something that needs to be said so yeah um so before we move on because I actually want to talk about that and classes and how you feel being represented by um your gender and your race and the academic um atmosphere at Penn so we'll talk about that after I ask this question which is what program like an idealized program you would model for your major or what you want to do um, in life for younger girls growing up? Like similar, I know Angela's is Girls Who Code, but like for those of you who aren't into tech, what would that program be like? So I guess I would do one just about like, you know, girls who want to be doctors. I would try to, first of all, make them like help them with their confidence because I feel like in this field you have to be confident and you have to be like, I know, like I like, like, I know that I'm smart enough for this. Like, yeah, like, if I'm wrong sometimes, okay, fine. But, like, I'm, like, I know I can do this because I feel like that, like, is a really big factor um, in this field. Like, just, like, if you're not confident enough, like, people will kind of, like, bring you down and be like, oh, like, she's not smart. Like, she doesn't have this when you actually do. So I guess I kind of, like, work on that with them. Um, I think another good thing is, like, we have, like, we have kind of been initiated into this privileged society coming to Penn and being a student here. And I think giving back to the community would be important. Like, for example, maybe like funding a student scholarship, I mean, a scholarship or like an internship over the summer for someone in high school or like really like advocating for someone back home to work at your company over the summer. Just something like that, I think, could also help. 
All right. So let's talk about the academic aspect of being a woman in STEAM, um, representation. Let's get into it. I know for the biology department, I have not had one black professor. And I like and I go to a lot of like the like so they hold presentations every week, I believe, on like Thursdays. And that's usually when like faculty in the biology department, you know, present their research. And I've been going that since like my freshman year. And not once did I see one black professor, but then this year I saw one and I was like, wait a minute. I was like, he must be new. And I went to, and I talked to him and his name's um, Ishmael. And he's literally like one of the first, if not the first, I ha- I'm not completely sure, um, but uh, black professors at Penn in the, bio- in the like biology department. And I was like, this is crazy that it's like took this long. Like there's really like very little like black professors like at like in Penn's biology department currently. And like it really plays a role because like without having that representation, like I don't know, for at least for me personally, like I get so nervous like speaking out in class because I feel like it if I say something wrong, like I'm brought down even more just because like I'm a woman of color. Like, I feel like people are really gonna be like, Oh, like 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 I really don't like know anything, like I'm not smart like this and that. And like of course some of that comes from confidence and just like my background. Um because I was from a very um, racist part of the South. But um, so I feel like that, like, plays a factor. And just, like, I remember one time after, like, a biology exam, because I was like, oh, like, I'm not ready for this. Like, I ha- like because there is um, uh, a guy in the biology department. He's also, like, um, African-American. He's, like, the only other one I know. But he's not a teacher there. And he's, like, telling me, he's, like, listen, I know it gets hard, especially being a person of color. But he's, like, you have to stick through it because, you know what, you have to guide the way for other people of color that want to come to this department. And he's like, and then he told me about Ishmael and stuff like that. But just like, it like really like, it really messes with you when like you don't have like that representation because you don't have that person that connect, that can connect with you and like really understand what you're going through. And then especially like just being first generation as well. Like, I don't know a lot of professors that are like, I know like maybe like in the biology department, I maybe know like one or two, but like it's really lacking as well. And so like, it could be really stressful. Can you explain what first generation is? It's just like, um, I be- it's like where neither of your parents like, um, went to college and stuff like that so yeah so being the first in your family to go to college yeah would be first generation um and to add on to what you're saying um I think a lot of it is like wanting role models so a lot of what you're saying is you don't have people to connect with because you don't have role models in your field and I see that too um I'm actually taking a genetics class right now and it's my first um, female uh, biology professor and what I find is that a lot of the female professors that I do have are in the humanities, um, such as language classes or like a sociology class. I will have a female professor, whereas like math, physics, chemistry, the hard sciences, and now biology is actually becoming called a soft science, actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> they're calling it because there is um, greater women in biology, so they're changing it to soft science. Wow. What? Yeah. They really had to do That's that. so rude. Yeah, so there, yeah. And um, so in the hard sciences, you really won't find female professors. And my friends are taking cis, they just have constant like female professors after, I mean, male professors after male professors. So that's also what we see here. I don't know if there exists a single female yeah. in the cis department who's not a researcher or postdoc or grad student. Everyone who's tenured is a white male. Um, every single professor. There are two professors of color, and they're both Indian males, and they're not given nearly the same respect 
as the white male professors, and it's very, very obvious that TA composition, every single head TA I've met is a white male. Um, and for a department that big and for a major that's growing so fast, that's something that I really need to change. What I noticed is the head TAs are not even the best ones. The best one, I took CIS 160 last semester, and it was a really, really difficult class for me. And the only TA that I found that truly helped me was a woman. And I asked her, I was like, why don't you apply to be head TA? And she just said, I never thought I could get it. Yeah. And that really broke my heart when I sat there in office hours and she stayed for two extra hours with no pay to help me study for this final. So that's something that in the CIS department specifically really needs to change. And now that I'm taking much many more poli-sci classes, I love all my professors so far have been women. I haven't had a woman of color yet, but they've all been women. Um, the environment in each class is so much different than when I sit in any of my CIS classes or other STEM classes. Um, Patty and I are in the same math class. Our professor is a white guy. Which math guy. is it? Math 240. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Smart. <laughs> Our professor is a white guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel as though he sometimes acknowledges the men more than the women in class specifically. Whenever anyone raises their hand, he always calls on the guy, regardless of the ordering. And the way that he just... I don't know if he intentionally mansplains people when he explains things. I'm sure you understand, You know what I'm talking about. He just immediately assumes you know it, and if you don't know it, he's like, why don't you know this? You have this huge gap in knowledge. So it's a very difficult learning environment to be in. But then on the other hand, when I go to my poli-sci class later that day, she is so supportive of all backgrounds and all thoughts, and I'm the only non-college um, student in my class, and everyone else is an upperclassman in PPE, so I felt as though I was pretty disadvantaged coming in because I didn't have that much knowledge, and she never made me feel like that. So, mm-hmm. nice. Well, being in the bioengineering department, I actually feel I'm kind of fortunate in some respect because there are a lot more women in the bioengineering department. Um, for example, I have a professor this year for my biomechanics class, and she's a woman. And I go to her office hours pretty much every week. And you go, and it's just a bunch of women in her office, all the other female bioengineers. And I was thinking about it. I was like, why do we come to her class? Like, is it a pride thing, and the guys think, like, they're too smart to come to her office hours? Or is it that we just feel more comfortable to approach her? And that's why we just go and sit in her office and talk to her. So I've been thinking about that a lot lately. But I definitely think, like, the bioengineering department does have some women, and I feel like that's great, but I also feel like we need to advocate for women of color. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because when you said you're thinking about whether the men feel comfortable enough coming to our office hours, we should think about that in the aspect with all the cis, like, the whole cis department basically being white males and what this means for um, POC, students of color, and females, whether they feel comfortable going to office hours. The Wix department actually did a survey of how even like women computer science people, color allies in general who wanted to fill this out, who were majoring or minoring in CIS, and how they felt. And they had statistics, I think it was um, like more than 60% of women in CIS don't feel comfortable raising their hand in lecture. And you definitely see that every single lecture. Whenever a girl raises her hand, some guy has to roll his eyes at her for asking a question, but whenever a guy does it, nothing happens. Um, and a lot of the professors sometimes are very standoffish in that aspect. We had a lot of guest professors because my professor was out of town for a few weeks. 
and he would not take a single question that wasn't from a guy and it was very blatantly obvious as well um and i think just that environment it takes a toll on a lot of women all the people i know who've dropped out of cis have been girls and that kind of breaks my heart it's not that they couldn't do it it's that people made them believe that they couldn't do it and that's one of the main reasons that i'm pursuing this because i want to change that and it's really really frustrating sitting in class every single day and feeling that and feeling like you have to deal with all this extra crap plus get your homework in plus get that grade plus get that internship so that's my personal experience on that it's a lot yeah it's a lot so to wrap up this episode i want to thank each and every one of you for coming but then i also want to ask each and every one of you to give one piece of advice for women who are in steam who want to go into steam um what this could be like study tools um what type of attitude you need to be able to succeed in this type of environment and um kind of life hacks so i think the biggest advice or anything that i would give would be persistence like just have persistence keep going because we need women like you to start and continue so that other women will look at you as other as role models and also follow in your footsteps if we don't have women starting and finishing then we're just going to have a continuous cycle of that reoccurring so persistence is key answer questions i mean ask questions um raise your hand in class do things that are not ordinary even if you're going to get some type of backlash because you deserve to have the same learning opportunity as a guy in your class just like you're saying with your sis class you are all paying the same amount of money to be in that class you have to take full advantage of your opportunities you have to go to office hours even if i understand it feels uncomfortable but you have to take these steps and say i can do this and it doesn't matter that i'm a woman it doesn't matter like i know this field is underrepresented but this starts with me and if i can sit here and go through this i will be able to push other women who are also wanting to pursue cis or STEM field or anything? Um, I would say be confident and don't be afraid to like speak up. If you find that there's a problem or that you're not being treated correctly, like you need to tell someone because someone's gonna hear your voice and like there will be that one person that takes you seriously. So just like really don't be afraid to like be confident and like tell someone like, hey, like why are you disrespecting me? <laughs> you know, just like, just don't be afraid. My advice would be don't be afraid to be selfish. Um, you don't necess- you your life choices sh- should revolve around you. And if they don't, then that means you're putting someone else above you. And in order to move forward, we need more aggressive women. We need more selfish women. And if someone tries to call you aggressive or selfish, call them out on it because they need to change their minds because if you were a guy, they wouldn't tell that to you. Um, and don't be afraid to go after what you want. Don't second guess yourself. Um, I think my advice would be to find allies and mentors in the field you're interested in. Because after working in a lab that is, um, the professor I work under, she's a female, and the lab is primarily females, I feel so supported, and I know she's advocating for me at every, like, mile that I come to in my life, every step, like, every milestone. She always signs me up for, like, posters or, like, competitions, and the fact that I know she has my back makes me feel so much more comfortable, so I would definitely advise getting a mentor or an ally, just someone that you know that's always going to be there to support you and want the best for you. That's beautiful. So thank I would like to thank each and every one of you. You guys, they are all like beautiful inside and out and super sweet. And 
I can't wait to like hear all of the amazing things you guys are going to create, achieve, and do in life. We love you, Sia. Aw, love you too. All right, peace and love. We would like to thank Nick Seymour and Kelly's Writer's House, um, Nick for engineering this episode, and Kelly's Writer's House for giving us the Wexler Studios. <laughs>